start planning what I like to call theme travel. And you may ask, what is theme travel? Well, it's all about traveling for a specific reason. It could be a hobby that you have, to learn something about something that's a favorite topic of yours, to explore and see more about something that is of special interest to you. Like, for instance, some people like to travel for art or maybe culinary experiences, for the theater, for music, history. And I recently met a gentleman who is a train buff, and he likes to travel to cities around the world to learn more about historic trains. So theme travel is really about traveling specifically to learn and experience things that are of great interest to you. And today there is more and more focus and interest on human and civil rights. And museums are featuring stories of humanity, many that are not very pleasant to talk about and explore, but they're also showing the empathy and understanding that comes from facing our past, acknowledging our wrongdoings, and making a way to unite, recover, and make way to healing. And the museums are doing a really great job of that. So it's not all about the bad history. It's also about the future. I recently visited two museums who are focused on telling the full story. I visited the Canadian Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg, where the story is not just of Canada, but a timeline of the human story is displayed with informational and interactive exhibits. So it's a really great way to not only learn about it, but also put yourself in the place of some of the people. The museum itself is built on indigenous ancestral lands and acknowledges the importance of space and place, recognizing that the importance of what the land meant and still means to the First Nation people. And while I was there, I had a chance to talk with Rory McLeod, who is the media relations specialist for the, for the museum, to tell us about the museum and the stories that you will find in the exhibits when visiting. And we start our conversation first and most importantly, talking about the location of the museum. We're doing this interview today on Treaty 1 territory. Uh, and as your listeners might know, uh, we have a series of numbered treaties all throughout the prairies, which serve as an agreement between the Canadian government and indigenous peoples in the area about how we're gonna live together in common. And so Treaty 1 is always important to recognize that, acknowledge that and think about how we can live into that. Um, but we're also here at the Forks. Now the museum is built on Treaty 1 territory at the Forks, the Forks being where the Assiniboine Rivers and the Red Rivers come together. And it's been a meeting place for indigenous peoples here for many, many thousands of years. And it's an honor to have the museum here to continue these conversations about how we're gonna live together in common, protecting the rights and dignity of everyone. So when was the museum actually built? So the museum opened its doors in September of 2014, and it was built for several years before that. You know, it's a beautiful structure. We've got some architecture that's totally unique here. You can't find it anywhere else in the world. Um, uh, really an astounding building by new Mexican architect Antoine Predock. So it's a real joy to have the opportunity to share this architecture with the world here at the Forks and really look at the lens of, of human rights through this incredible the incredible allegory of the building, the story that it tells as you enter in the roots of the building where there's much less light and then you progress up through the galleries and you see more and more light on your journey. You know, it's really a metaphor for our journey towards a world where everyone is more protected, more empowered by human rights, not only here in Canada, the United States, but also around the world. That people become enlightened, actually. That people become enlightened, that we think about the important subjects of our day and think about them, you know, with the courage and the conviction to, to tackle the tough subjects, to ask the hard questions, to find 
compromises so that we can live together, protect everyone's rights and dignity, and, and really ensure that, you know, my understanding of how I want to live the good life and your understanding of how you want to live the good life, that we can exist together and, and celebrate each other and celebrate our rights to live as we choose. Absolutely, absolutely. But now in building the museum, did you find any artifacts that are included as part of the exhibits here? You know, one of the artifacts that is probably one of my favorites is actually a prom dress. So in 2013, uh, a high school student named Marisha Rucker at her Wilcox County uh, High School in Georgia um, held her high school's very first ever racially integrated prom. And so up until that point, her high school had had one prom for white students and one prom for black students. And Marisha, with her classmates and her friends, organized the very first ever racially integrated prom at the at her high school. And I think it's just such a stunning story because we think about all the progress that's been made and people are always so surprised to hear like that was only in 2013 that that happened. But I also think it shows it's such an interesting example of Mauritius courage. You know, she defied this practice that continued so far after anybody would think that it would have um, against, you know, and, and was at, at points discouraged by lots of people in the community from, from changing how things were functioning. And I think the courage that she's shown is just so cool, so so inspiring. You know, here's a 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid changing her community. And when she does that, she also changes us. And so we're really proud to be able to display Mauritius' red prom dress, as well as the tuxedo that her date wore in our 11th, Level 7 gallery, which is called Inspiring Change. Yeah, well, I'll definitely take a look at that because being from Georgia, I'm mm-hmm. somewhat familiar with that story. We try to tell stories that can be sometimes difficult to hear because we focus on the individual human rights champions and human rights defenders who took action to make change. And so we talk about issues of genocide, we talk about issues of atrocity to be sure, but I wanna make sure that someone coming to the museum has a hopeful experience. I want them to come here and be touched by the courage of these people whose stories we're so fortunate to share in our galleries, who've risked everything in some cases to defend their rights, to defend other people's rights, and to make a difference for everyone. And so when we think about Mauricio Rucker, when we think about Malala, you know, when we think about people like Nelson Mandela, um, and, you know, even here in Canada, when we think about people like Clayton Thomas Mueller, Buffy St. Marie, people who've been, you know, iconic champions for human rights, indigenous rights in particular here in Canada. You know, these are the people we want folks to emulate. I want them to think of that human rights champion when they're faced with the decision in their own lives to take a stand and say something if they see something that's not right. I want them to channel that example, to hold on to that memory and use it as fire, use it to find their own courage, to find their own voice. Right. We don't want them to stay silent. No, we do not. No, we do not. Can you explain or describe the exhibits? Because they're very interactive. Yeah, absolutely. So as you come throughout the museum, you'll notice that uh, while we do have some artifacts in gallery, and I mentioned Marisha Rucker's dress earlier, you know, we're primarily a digital experience. So we use films, we use digital interactives, we use digital kiosks to really tell immersive human rights stories. And so, you know, we start from foundational questions about what are human rights. We go through indigenous perspectives on rights. We go through some Canadian journeys. 
And then up, upwards in the museum, we look at the Holocaust as an example of genocide. We focus on people who've managed to break the silence about genocide in their communities. We profile human rights defenders who take action. And then we offer a gallery on the level seven floor where people can share their own thoughts, can, can feed back into the museum what they've learned, what they feel, how they feel inspired, what they're going to do with this experience. Mm-hmm. And that's that really powerful cycle that we try to connect to foundational concepts what are human rights at the beginning of your journey and at the end of your journey you know we offer people a chance to share their reflections on how they're going to take action for change and if 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 that's that's a really good way of of looking at what we hope to achieve here which i'll stop here take a break and when we come back i ask rory to tell us more about canada's story of human rights back in a few minutes on travel with anita and friends When you're traveling, you always need a travel buddy, and Allianz Travel Insurance is my travel buddy. Insurance is really important to make sure that you are protecting your travel investment. Travel insurance covers you for several things like trip cancellation or delays, all of those things that hmm, make traveling a little more stressful. Well, hand it over to your travel buddy at Allianz Travel Insurance. So check out their website at AllianzTravel.com. And go ahead and make sure that you are covered, too. You have a travel buddy with Allianz Travel Insurance. What are human rights? How is it defined from country to country? And how can we learn more about it when we travel? Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. I talk with Rory McLeod, Media Relations Specialist with the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. He shares Canada's story of human rights. Our museum is not organized in chronological order. You know, we start from these foundational concepts of what are human rights. And then we take people through to one of our marquee galleries, uh, which is Canadian Journeys. And so, you know, a lot of folks aren't that familiar with human rights stories in Canada. And not, not just people from outside of Canada, but a lot of Canadians themselves are still only just learning now about really important human rights stories from Canada. You know, a lot of folks are still just learning about Indian residential schools. A uh, system of schools where Indigenous children were taken from their families, forcibly taken from their families, to attend schools far away from home, where often the education was not good uh, and living conditions were very poor. Um, and really the objective of the schools wasn't to educate Indigenous children, but it was to, in the famous words of one of the proponents of these systems, to quote-unquote, take the Indian out of the child. Um, you know, and it's very important for us that we acknowledge these stories as genocide, that Canadians understand that, that a genocide took place on these lands. And some would say it's still taking place, um, particularly when it comes to the violence that's projected at Indigenous women and girls, uh, two-spirit people in Canada as well. So, you know, as Canadians, we have so many, we have, I think, much to be proud of. You know, Canada has played an, an important role in the international stage in developing the idea of universal rights. But we also have many stories here in Canada about how we haven't always lived up to those ideals and how today we don't always live up to those ideals. Well, you know, that's a really good point because I think the perception a lot of times is that Canadians are very nice and that there's lots of equality here. So to hear that there have been things, you know, in your history, I think that is a message that needs to go out so that people know and people understand and see the progress that not only Canada is making, but hopefully all around the world. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think understanding the truths of these stories is only a good thing. Yeah. What we, the, the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are as Canadians, the narratives that we construct for ourselves, 
sometimes those can be very helpful. Sometimes those can help us feel good, help us engage with our civic life, go out and vote. You know, take action in your community, but other times they can they can mask the 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 truth of who who we are and what our story is. When we think about Canada as solely as a peaceful country, as a, as a nation that wants to get along with its neighbors, that wants to participate in the international world in a good way, that cherishes the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, you know, we have to hold that those realities alongside the realities that this is also the country that has turned away. Um, immigrants who were being persecuted elsewhere in the world in very important moments. This is the country that turned away to St. Louis. This is the country with the iconic Komagata Maru story of denying uh, immigrants the right to access Canada. This is the country with Indian residential schools. This is a country that, um, while maybe it didn't have the same type of codified Jim Crow laws as existed in the United States, there was absolutely segregation here in Canada uh, against that, that, w- that was directed against black people here in Canada. Uh, as well as indigenous people here in Canada and others. Absolutely. absolutely. And you're right. I mean, you have to tell our full stories mm-hmm. in order to be completely understood. That's right. Uh, but how have you captured this uh, in an informative way to tell the story and show reconciliation? Can you share that with the listeners? Because it's not only just about sharing the history, but you all are also talking about what is being done mm-hmm. you know, in terms of reconciliation as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, reconciliation, if, if maybe some of your listeners aren't, aren't totally familiar what that means in the Canadian context, is the idea that, um, you know, through the treaty system that I mentioned earlier and through other agreements uh, with Indigenous peoples, you know, settlers, particularly European settlers on these lands, made agreements about how we were going to live together, made commitments about the the sort of respect that we would have for indigenous peoples. And and there's no doubt about it, those agreements have not been honored. Um, the colonization process in Canada, much like the United States, very violent. Uh, and, and while, you know, many people have, have lived good lives in Canada, and particularly newcomers, too, who celebrate Canada as a place of safety um, as they flee violence elsewhere in the world, for indigenous people... Um, I know some certainly feel that Canada, the experience of, of the Canadian state being established has been very violent, it's been a state of dispossession against them and their lands. Um, and, you know, the story doesn't stop there, obviously. Reconciliation is the idea that we can and we must do something to reverse that process, to look at colonization, to look at, you know, what are the systems that support this either colonial mindsets that that think about indigenous people as less than other Canadians or that think about colonial systems that maybe unconsciously reinforce the idea that indigenous people, indigenous systems of government, indigenous ways of knowing are lesser than other forms of knowing. So we have to challenge those things. And in gallery, you can encounter any number of stories about really powerful indigenous leaders who are challenging those, those, those stereotypes or those preconceptions that people might have um, asserting really powerfully that there are indigenous ways of knowing, indigenous ways of understanding the world, indigenous relationships to land and water mm-hmm. that are unique, uh, that are precious, and that should be embraced and appreciated by all Canadians. Um, and I think, you know, at the root of the reconciliation movement that you that you'll hear about in our galleries um, is the idea that we have to be honest with ourselves about the harms that were done, particularly we as, a, as settlers, and I identify as a settler, we have to be honest about the harms that were done. And we as settlers, we as the Canadian government, 
um, have to make steps to make amends and make change in how we do things. And so that's, you know, woven throughout our galleries in any number of stories. Yes, you'll absolutely hear about Indigenous leaders. Hopefully we can also build a commitment in our visitors to be a part of the reconciliation process themselves. I was going to say that, that that's part of why you have to have the museums and have the exhibits because people learn from coming to exhibits and seeing that. And then they can also change their behavior and their hearts and their minds as well yeah. and, and, and do better. I don't want someone to just learn about human rights, mm-hmm. right? I don't want them to just change their own behavior. I want both of those things and I want them to go back to their communities and think about how they're going to transform the community for the better, how they're going to invest in the people around them. So many times in life, it's easy to forget that we're part of a broader community. In the daily grind of life, you know, sitting in traffic, waiting in line at the grocery store, you know, it is easy to forget that you know, we are not the center of our own universe, like that, that we exist in common with other people, that other people's experiences are things that we can understand so we can better not understand not only our own experience, but our, our experience as members of a community. And it's really in community that we find strength. It's in community that we're able to move forward. You know, nothing was ever built alone. No one ever achieved great things purely by themselves. One person can change the world. But one person can only really do that if they're able to inspire others to join them in that, in that pursuit. And so I hope that we inspire people to, to, to think about how they can take action for change. But I hope they also take away from the galleries that, you know, true change, meaningful change and a viable path to change is found through investing in our communities. So how can people find more information and learn about how they can come and have the same experience that I'm having here today? Any of your visitors can find us online at humanrights.ca. Uh, or if you have visitors who are listening in French, we're also available at droitdelapersonne.ca. Uh, we are a fully bilingual museum as well. Um, but you can also find us on all social media platforms. We're there, humanrights.ca or the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Um, if folks want to discover what we have going on, we've got new exhibitions opening all the time. We've got public events that are often offered virtually as well as in person. So folks from around the world can join and check us out. Plan a trip to Winnipeg to have your experience at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Visit their website humanrights.ca. I'll stop here, and when I come back, I'll take you to Indianapolis. Understanding how we interact and appreciate the human experience can start with helping children learn to respect and value each person's life. Travel can help children learning this early in life. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. There's a way to learn about history in a manner that respects the life stories of all people. I had a chance to visit the Children's Museum in Indianapolis to see the Emmett Till exhibit. The museum is a spectacular way for not only children, but adults too, to learn and have experiences across the arts, the sciences, the humanities, and really there's this whole power to transform our lives and the lives of children and their families by visiting the museum. Now, this museum has a very extensive exhibit on human rights, acknowledging how children have throughout history had a role in bringing justice and light to the human experience, how their actions have moved us closer to valuing all lives. I had a chance to talk with Aaron Bonds, who is the director of actor interpretation and theater at the Children's Museum, which is a great learning experience for everyone. I asked him about the temporary Emmett Till exhibit, at the museum and how it all came together. 
So this is an exhibit that we've been working on here um, for about three years now. We worked really, really closely with the, um, the Till family itself. Uh, representatives from the Till family. Our lead advisor is Reverend Wheeler Parker, who was uh, the last surviving um, cousin of Emmett Till, who was actually with him an eyewitness to the abduction. Um, and so, he, you know, Reverend Parker has been kind of our guiding light as we have moved forward. Basically, every um, exhibit element, every program that we do, every label has kind of gone through the family's lens and they've given us, been very insistent about, you know, the way that they, they want this information to be shared and told. We leaned really hard on the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. Um, also the Emmett and Mamie Till Mobley um, Institute, as well as a lot of our other sort of internal advisors. And it's been quite a journey. You know, it really began uh, several years ago when uh, the Emmett Till Interpretive Center um, was doing some reconciliation in the community and decided to put up sign markers honoring the life of Emmett Till. And they put these up and but pretty much immediately after they put them up, they started noticing that these signs began to get vandalized. And they were really, um, you know, there was a little bit of media coverage about that. Our president and CEO, Jennifer Pace Robinson, um, was really interested in that and kind of drawn to the story and reached out to the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. She was able to take a trip down there. She was able over the next couple of months to meet with the family and to really start the process of what would eventually become this touring exhibit that we have here today. And so it's been a long journey. And one of the things that we feel really honored about is that we are able to use our platform to help elevate the story that the Till family has been telling, this truth that they've been telling for the past 70 years. And so for us, it was really about kind of using our expertise about knowing how to tell these stories, these important truths, especially to children and families. And then we just leaned really closely on the Till family and our other advisors to help create this really cool exhibit. So have they done an extensive exhibit like this before, the Till family? To my knowledge, this is the first experience that we will have creating an Emmett Till touring exhibit that will go to several different locations throughout the United States. And after it does that, it will then go to the Emmett Till Interpretive Center in Mississippi and be a permanent installation down there as well. So we're really excited to be able to share this truth, this really important information, and also that it's going to live permanently down with the Emmett Till Center. Yes, yes, yes. It's like it's going home. It is. Touring. It is. You know, what is the message that you feel the Teal family wants, especially children, to receive? The thing that seems most important to them is telling the truth, is making sure that the truth of what happened to Emmett, of the courageous decisions that Mamie Till Mobley made, that we are speaking openly and honestly about that truth. And for us, that's been that guiding light is this is an opportunity to tell the truth about what happened and hopefully through telling that truth and the acknowledgement of these really, really difficult things that this family has had to deal with for almost 70 years now, mm -hmm. that we as a country can start to heal and start to hopefully find a path towards racial reconciliation for our country. And I notice in the exhibit there are lots of uh, engaging activities that children, that people, mm -hmm. adults and children, can do. So as you all were putting it together, I mean, how are you visualizing that turning out to be not only just what you're doing here in the museum, but taking it out into your community 
with your family, with your friends, and really making a difference and a change. And we were really intentional as we were going through the process. Um, you know, we talked a little bit that the gallery is going to be touring the United States and going to be um, ending up at the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. Um, but we are one of the only children's museums that this exhibit will be at. Most of the other exams, museums, uh, I would say probably have mostly adult visitation. Not that they don't have family groups or students, mm -hmm. but that they're mostly adult visitation. And so that put us in a really interesting spot to make sure that we told this truth in the right way, but also making it accessible to children and families. And so we were really intentional. Um, we knew that we wanted to have interactive elements that would help people tell the stories. The way that the exhibit is laid out, we, wanted, we knew that we wanted to have a lot of imagery. We wanted to have text that sort of drove the story. And then we've also worked really hard on the other end to help support the families, students, and other people who will go through the exhibit. And so we do have an ex um, a, a website that tra that will sort of be up as long as the exhibit is traveling. It's emmettillexhibit.org. And that has really great information that can support family groups that, grow, that go to the exhibit, as well as school groups and students that go to the exhibit. We have specific information on that website that can help them understand, one, to prepare for the exhibit, but also giving them insight and resources about what to do after they've gone through the experience. Yeah, it's pretty emotional. So are there any things that, um, that, that you all have set up to kind of help people kind of process all of the information, the engaging activities that they can do, the photos, mm -hmm. have you set anything up with that? Because I would think that for some children it might be really difficult to kind of process it all like right here, and even for some adults as well. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we work hard with in this institution is to try to meet our visitors sort of where they are, you know, and we know that um, stories, a story like this has to have a lot of different access points. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of different ways in the exhibit where people will be able to engage with the material and think the, think some of this through. Mm -hmm. We have a sound and light show that plays, which is a really great way for people to kind of get the overarching message of the exhibit. We have a sound and light show that plays. We also have programming that we offer through our staff here at the Children's Museum. Uh, we have a live actor show that we offer in the exhibit. We have conversation-based programming for families. We also have areas in the exhibit that are just meant for people to be able to reflect and to sit and to take a moment and to think a little bit about this content that they're exploring. We have um, books that are out for a variety of ages of readers so that you know young children can still have a way to sort of access this information. In our programming, we talked about that they are sort of conversation-based, but we also have um, art elements that are um, a part of our programming because we know that some kids, some families, um, a better way to engage with this is actually through some sort of art or giving yeah. them the opportunity to express themselves in a bit of a different way. We have a specific programming that's designed to engage our school groups when they come through the exhibit. And so mm -hmm. we're really excited by how many different ways we've offered um, so that people can engage with the story and then feel empowered to go and do something. We'll stop here and when I come back, I'll talk a little bit more with Aaron about the experience of visiting the museum because there are so many interactive exhibits, a chance for you to really put yourself in the place of the people or the things that you are, are actually taking a look at. And the museum has other things besides the human rights 
uh, exhibit that you can also visit. I really like looking at the dinosaur exhibits, which are very intriguing. Have a chance to really check out what the scientists are doing, what they're exploring, and the things that they are finding. So definitely you want to check out the Children's Museum when you are in Indianapolis. Now I'll be back in a few minutes here on Travel with Anita and Friends, and Aaron and I will continue our conversation about the Emmett Till exhibit here on Travel with Anita and Friends. is a way to learn more about people, places, and our experiences. It's a way to learn more about the things we thought we already knew. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Travel is a way to learn more about the places that we visit, the people, the culture, the history. But how do we process some of the information that we see and hear? I asked Aaron Bonds, Director of Actor Interpretation and Theater at the Children's Museum in Indianapolis, how the museum provides opportunities for families to process the information and experience of visiting the museum. One program that I pointed to, it's called Building Bridges. It's basically a conversation-based program where we'll bring family groups in and we're giving them the opportunity to talk about some of these important issues as a family unit. Also in our live actor show, after each show that we do, we do have um, what is kind of titled a post-show discussion. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily a question and answer because we realize that you know, our actors are not experts in this. They're experts at acting. They're right. really good. They're really good, <laughs> They're at, good at, acting. <laughs> at, at doing performances. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've spent some time with them to train them and to give them tools so that they can um, sort of uh, lead some of these discussions. But it really is for us more important to get the family discussing. And mm -hmm. so we set aside time. We're very intentional to give a family an opportunity to think about some of these important questions. Some of those in questions may be, why is it important that we still tell Emmett's story today? Mm -hmm. Another question that we pose to families is to think a little bit about that really tough decision that Mamie Till Mobley made to have an open casket funeral mm -hmm. and to imagine to create empathy for that decision that she had to make. And so um, we want to really be able to support that conversation, but we really want to give space so that the family can have that conversation. That's really, to us, what is the most important part of people coming to the to see the exhibit. Well, as uh, strange as this question might be, or, or, or what I'm going to ask you next might be, I think it is why you also have the exhibit, and that is, can you tell my listeners who Emmett Till was? Yes. And why you know these things happened to him you know basically what what happened yeah um yeah uh i will go um relatively quick just to sort of move <laughs> through um okay. but one of the things i'm incredibly proud about with our exhibit is that we spent a lot of time um trying to create empathy for emmett and for his family you know lots of times when we read these sort of stories or you may read it in a book or you may um read an article about it or see a video the humanity, the element of that this was a human, that Emmett was just a 14-year-old boy who had hopes and dreams and wishes just like all of us. Mm -hmm. He enjoyed making people laugh. He was a jokester. Um, he just had this huge heart and this in loved living. 
And that's one of the elements that we really wanted to get across in our exhibit is the mm -hmm. humanity related to Emmett and also the, huma the humanity related to Mamie Till Mobley and the really tough decision that she had to make. So in 1955, Emmett was a 14 year old boy who traveled down to Mississippi to spend some time with his cousins. Um, his cousins were out. They went to a, um, a country store to, um, to sort of purchase some things. While they were at the country store, Emmett um, jokingly trying to kind of make a joke, whistled at a white woman. Um, Emmett's cousins knew the ones that lived in Mississippi, knew that this was something that you did not do if you were a black male in the South. Um, as soon as Emmett whistled at that um, white woman, Emmett's cousins got really, really scared. And that's when Emmett realized that this was serious. And he and all of his cousins ran away from that store as quickly as they could. Uh, two days later, uh, in the middle of the Mississippi night, two men came to um, Emmett's family's home with, with a gun. They abducted Emmett. They took Emmett to a barn and where a group of men beat and tortured Emmett for hours. Eventually, they shot him in the head. They tied an industrial-sized um, cotton gin fan around his neck, and they threw his lifeless body in the Tallahatchie River. Um, several days later, the Emmett's body was recovered from the river. Um, the When Emmett's body was recovered, there was an effort in Mississippi to just bury Emmett and not send his remains back to Chicago. His mother, Mamie Till Mobley, was insistent that his body be sent back to Chicago. Once the body was sent back to Chicago and she viewed um, the corpse of her son, and saw what they had done to him, she made that incredibly difficult decision of saying, I want to let the world see. And that's where the title of our exhibit, Emmett, and Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley, Let the World See, that's where that Let the World See comes from, is that very tough choice that she made to have an open casket funeral. There were, I'm not going to try to get the numbers right, but a, a huge number of people came and viewed Emmett's open casket funeral. The photo of his mutilated body was published in Jet Magazine, I think, as well as one other African-American publication. And without that remarkable decision by Mamie Till Mobley, we may not even know about this story related to Emmett Till. And unfortunately, there are many others that suffered the same fate as Emmett that we don't know about. And so we are just really grateful to the strength of Mamie Till Mobley, a true American hero, so that we would really have this information. And our gallery explores what happened to Emmett in, those, in that time of his life, but also what happened after that. How Mamie's decision really, really helped to fuel the civil rights movement. We talk a little bit about what's going on today down in that community as well as local as the local community um, that the galleries are that the exhibit is going to travel to. Um, and so for us, it really is about what happened to Emmett then. What are we going to do now, and what? What are we going to set up for the future so that this never happens to another 14-year-old boy again? Wow. So it almost leaves you speechless to, it does. to hear everything that you're saying. Mm -hmm. So, Aaron, what does this mean for you personally? I mean, I know you work here at the Children's mm -hmm. Museum, but for you personally to work on this exhibit, meet the family. Yeah. I mean, you're not like, you know, just coming to view it. You are actually meeting the family and his cousin that was there. I mean, yeah. you're talking with him. So what does this mean for you? Um, for me personally, it's been 
Uh, it's been one of the more difficult things that I've ever had to do in my professional career, but it's also been one of the most rewarding. And I'm really grateful to all of our partners, the Till family, the interpreted the Emmett Till Center, the Emmett and Mamie Till Mobley Institute, and all our, of our advisors, as well as the Children's Museum for um, making the decision to move forward with this really important gallery. And so for me, I have a young daughter at home. And so often as I was on this journey, um, I would think of her and I would think of the future of our world and thinking back to some of the things that I endured and some of the other things um, that my family has told me about, you know, that happened here in Indianapolis in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, it's just been a really impactful thing. And I'm very honored that I've had the opportunity to help tell this truth today in 2022. So give us a couple of the cities where it's heading next. It's going to go to a variety of museums. Some of them, and I'm not going to say them all here, but we'll, it'll go to the two Mississippi, the two Mississippi museums in Mississippi. It will go to the, um, the DuSable African American Museum in Chicago, as well as the Dr. Martin Luther King Library in Washington, D.C., I believe. Um, but if people are interested in the path that it will take and exactly where it will go, you can go to that website, which is emmettillexhibit.org, and that will tell people exactly where the exhibit is going, exactly when it will be there. We encourage them to go to the Children's Museum website, which is childrensmuseum.org. Absolutely. While they're here, there's so many other exhibits Absolutely. that they can see as well. Yeah. I mean, this is really a fantastic museum. Fascinating information about the Children's Museum in Indianapolis. I'll tell you guys, it is really, really a fascinating place. You can learn about the arts, about humanity, about sciences. I mentioned earlier that I really love the dinosaur exhibit. There's so much to see there. Not only just the exhibits on you know, human rights, you can definitely see those there as well. Other ones besides the Emmett Till exhibit are there. But you can see so many things. So you want to also plan to spend a full day there because there's so many things to see and do uh, in the interactive exhibits. You have a lot of fun. The whole family will. Now, the Emmett Till exhibit is coming to Atlanta August 5th through September 17th in 2023. There are also several other cities that the exhibit will visit. So for more information on upcoming exhibits, visit the website emmettillexhibit.org. And to plan that visit to the Children's Museum in Indianapolis, visit their website, childrensmuseum.org. And to learn more about travel and travel tips, travel destinations, visit my website, travelwithanita.com. Bye-bye. Oh.